you're listening to the seventh generation sharing compelling stories today to inspire a flourishing tomorrow It's no secret that Americans eat a lot of food. In fact, the average American literally eats a ton of food every year. With obesity rates at unprecedented levels, millions of Americans are at increased risk for type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, strokes, osteoarthritis, sleep apnea, kidney disease, and a slew of other serious health problems. But our diets are only half the equation when it comes to food in America. That's because 50% of all food grown in the United States goes to waste. This waste occurs at all points along the food system chain, from farm to table to landfill. The food story starts at the farm, where it's estimated that 7% of all food never makes it off the fields on which they're grown. There are many reasons for this. Some is lost due to pest and disease or labor shortages due to immigration laws and more is lost due to unrealistic aesthetic standards demanded by the ultra-competitive retail food market. But this obsession with food perfection is really deeply ingrained in the American food culture, and this isn't easy to change. At a time when we're craving convenience and instant gratification, it really is a daunting challenge to be able to, to get people to change this mindset. Even with a growing consciousness for sustainability and environmental protection, all Americans really do have to do their part if we want to find an answer to our interconnected environmental problems. But I don't want to make it sound like all hope is lost, because there really are a lot of solutions and a lot of innovative, industrious, and hardworking individuals, organizations, and companies that have come up with all sorts of exciting solutions to not only our food waste problem, but the related problems of hunger and environmental injustice of all kinds. Another major source of food waste in our country is our infamously big portion sizes. According to the USDA, 17% of meals go uneaten at restaurants and 55% and of these potential leftovers aren't even taken home. In fact, this problem is actually getting worse. Portion sizes have actually grown larger by a significant amount over the last 30 years. Consumer-level food waste is in no way limited to, uh, to restaurants. About one quarter of food bought for households is thrown away. A major culprit of household food waste is confusion over date labeling. Most Americans are not aware that, that used-by and best-by dates are actually are just manufacturer suggestions meant to indicate when the peak quality of the items will start to diminish. So what does all this really mean? Food takes a lot of resources to grow, distribute, manufacture, and store. So when food goes to waste, so does all the water, energy, land, and labor that went into producing it. And this is a real problem, not only for our environment and the increasing crisis of climate change, but the enduring problem of hunger and food insecurity. Over 13 million children in the United States are food insecure, which means they don't get enough food to eat on a regular basis. And food insecurity is inextricably linked to poor education outcomes, chronic health issues, and a slew of other problems that that are frankly unacceptable in America. And this isn't the only way that food waste and our broken food system exacerbates socioeconomic inequality in the United States. 
When food isn't eaten and it's not composted, it's shipped off to landfills where it leaks methane, an extremely potent greenhouse gas that contributes to the global problem of climate change. And while climate change is a big threat to everyone, it impacts low-income communities to a disproportionate extent. Obviously, this is not a pretty picture or something that we should be proud of as a country or as, as a global community. But the solutions really are out there to, to fix food insecurity and poverty, as well as food waste, all at the same time. And that's why I'm so excited to introduce my guest today, Gina McKinley. She's the Division Manager for Strategic Initiatives at Austin Resource Recovery. This is the city of Austin's department responsible for overseeing waste management services, including Austin's goal to reach zero waste by 2040. In 2016, the city passed the Universal Recycling Ordinance, which requires food permitted businesses to create and implement a, a plan to divert organic waste from landfills. I'm so excited to have Gina on to discuss this plan and um, to talk about how it all works and how it benefits the city of Austin and beyond. Could you just talk about a little bit about uh, how the Organic Waste Diversion Ordinance works? I just, just give a little background uh, for those who aren't familiar with it. Sure. Well, I'm with the city of Austin, and here at the city, um, we in our uh, solid waste department, which is called Austin Resource Recovery, uh, we directly control only a small portion of waste that's generated in our community, and which means that we have to influence the generation of the rest of that material in other ways, such as public policy. So our community adopted the organic or the universal recycling ordinance which requires all commercial and multi-family properties to provide access to recycling. Uh, that was the, the original context of the ordinance. It was expanded after a couple of years of implementation mm -hmm. to include requirements for organics diversion. So now as a result of the ordinance, organics diversion applies to all food enterprises, which basically means an establishment that is required to hold a food permit. So that could be groceries, Farmers markets, restaurants, bars, etc. So obviously, um, you know, you you uh, talked a little bit about uh, uh, the fact that uh, this applies to food permitted business, permitted permitted businesses, um, and the, um, Austin Resource Recovery has outlined many ways that food permitted organizations can reduce their waste. Um, so I wanted to know if there are any strategies that have been particularly successful um, for these businesses and organizations. Sure. One of, the, one of the things we found is that after going out and doing outreach to the many businesses that are impacted by the ordinance, we found that a lot of things were happening in our community that just simply weren't documented, which was positive news. Um, we could <laughs> see that organics were already being diverted. Um, in restaurants, for example, um, a lot of the reason that um, some of this organic diversion was happening was honestly driven by profit margins. Um, so they have an interest to use food before it expires to minimize excess. Um, so that was really positive to hear that many businesses found that they were already doing some things that are recommended in our guidelines for food waste reduction. Um, using food waste from one dish as a base and another, mm. making sure that their staff has training with good knife skills to reduce the amount of trimmings. Um, in non-restaurant um, food permitted businesses, um, we really see compost and food donation are the mm -hmm. most common. 
Um, but it's great, there is a lot of food donation happening in our community um, before composting as an alternative. And so we're seeing lots of food going to hungry people, hungry animals. Um, so those are some of the general themes we've seen. Um, yeah, and that's that's really great to hear that uh, that some of these businesses and organizations were doing some things to reduce waste already. And um, I guess I just wanted to go back and, and just um, ask you about something that you mentioned, uh, which I think is really important, wh important which is uh, the food donations to, to food charities. And um, is there anything that the city of Austin has done to encourage or make it easier for businesses and, and even just individuals to, do to donate their food? The Universal Recycling Ordinance, which has these mandates within it, um, it does reference the food waste hierarchy, which encourages food donation as the, the very top of that list. So that should be the things that, uh, that these businesses are looking at first. Um, donating to hungry people first, mm -hmm. then second, animals. Composting is a lot further down that list. So in our outreach and education to the businesses that are impacted, um, food donation is something definitely that our staff is encouraging and pushing. Um, some of the things we've seen as a result of the ordinance is that food donation is expanding and growing in our community. Um, we have the Central Texas Food Bank, and we have a food rescue organization called Keep Austin Fed. So one of the, some of the collaborations that have happened in our community as a result of these requirements have been really great. Um, so Keep Austin Fed is run by a volunteer-run organization, um, but more businesses are contacting them to um, see about food donation, and similarly with the Central Texas Food Bank. So we're seeing food donation organizations work more closely together and also build those partnerships with the businesses in our community that might have um, edible food in need of savings. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's also really great to hear. Um, and um, uh, it relates to something else I was wondering about, which is, um, you know, are there any collaborations that you are, have seen that you were surprised about or particularly excited uh, to see happening in the community in order to prevent uh, organic waste? Sure. Well, um, what I just mentioned in terms of um, food, uh, food donation and food rescue organizations working with the business community, it's been great to see that effort grow. Other collaborations we've seen have been between businesses themselves. So if there are businesses that are co-located or in a, a retail strip center or other, other types of co-location, um, we've seen them start to work together to streamline service. So say composting is the option that's selected mm -hmm. for diverting organics, you might have three or four businesses working together for that service, which at the end of the day gets them all on board um, makes it more consistent and often saves money at the same time. Um, in terms of other collaborations um, related to food donation, the City of Austin, Austin Resource Recovery, our department, partnered with the Central Texas Food Bank and Keep Austin Fed last year to host an event called Feeding the 5,000. And that was really to generate awareness about food waste in our community. And so as a group, we um, worked to recover food that would have otherwise been destined for the landfill. So we didn't take anything mm -hmm. from the existing yeah. food donation stream, but just other sources that had not been tapped in our community and created a meal that we served on the lawn of our state capitol um, to serve up to 5,000 people. Um, so that was a great kind of community awareness building event about the value and they, they all enjoyed a delicious meal made from food that would have been going to the landfill. And so when you 
the experience of doing that can really draw big awareness to people. Um, and then there's one other uh, mm-hmm. collaboration and kind of innovative solution that we've seen as a result of some of the activities here at the city. Um, in our economic development recycling team, we host an, an event called Reverse Pitch, which is basically a social innovation program that turns valuable raw materials that leave local businesses as waste into the foundation of a new social enterprise. So one of the one of the winning organizations from a past reverse pitch is an organization mm-hmm. called Grub Tubs, mm-hmm. and they basically became a food waste solution for local mm-hmm. restaurants. And they collect food from the restaurants and repurpose it by mm-hmm. growing protein-rich grubs that then become animal feed for chickens and pigs. So a really innovative solution that we saw in our community that came directly out of these efforts to divert more organic waste. Yeah, um, those are all really great examples of, of how uh, how f- multiple food waste problems can be solved, and uh, um, and obviously it's great to hear that there there's able you were able to um, work in a, an entrepreneurial um, aspect to that. Um, so that's that's really great um, because I'm sure you know that some opponents of a program like this would say that it may be a burden on businesses, um, and so. Um, I guess you know, just you kind of touched on this, uh, and you had some some good uh, answers to, to that to that critique. But what would what what would be your response if if somebody said said that uh, that it was a burden on businesses? And people do say that, <laughs> and I think change is hard, um, especially when you're talking to business owners that are you know focused on um, their operations and have the city being the same as a requirement. Um, but what we have found is that. Um, most opponents say that the ordinance is a compost. It has a composting requirement. Um, but when we talk to them, we explain that really it doesn't have to cost anything, um, and that there are multiple options. So donation, as an example, um, reducing organic and diverting organic material doesn't mean you have to contract for a third <coughs> service that is composting. But there are lots of options. So they seem to be. They tend to be a little bit less concerned when they hear about mm-hmm. all the different yeah. options that there are to solve for this issue, um, and many of the businesses that have embraced the practices, but we have some early adopters that are taking on organic diversion before they're actually required to, per the ordinance, so we have, it's a phased-in ordinance in terms of who has to do what when, um, and they've seen that they're saving money, not negatively impacting their bottom line. So we really lean on these success stories, um, mm-hmm. to sh- and have the business community share with one another. It's one thing to hear it from the city. Um, but when you have businesses that can champion these practices and show how it's worked for their businesses, that can be really meaningful to those that might be opposed. Because of all these things uh, that the city is doing, uh, do you think people are becoming more conscious of where their food comes from uh, and where it, where it ends up? Um, and you know, if so, has this changed their behavior regarding food and, and food waste? I think there's definitely been an increased awareness about where it ends up. Um, some of the things I've talked about where we've generated awareness, creating meals from food that was going into a landfill, and just understanding the impact and the number of, if you look at the amount of food waste and then you look at the amount of hungry people in our community, it seems like a really solvable solution. Um, hmm. But in terms of just raising awareness about where the food ends up, not only as a result of the Universal Recycling Ordinance, which has businesses now thinking more about where this stuff is going, 
but also in our community we're rolling curbside composting. So just uh -huh. having those services and having to think about the services, why it's there, where this stuff is going to go, I think just generally helps to raise awareness. Um, now where the food comes from, I hope so, <laughs> but uh, I'm not really sure. I think there's more work to do, which is an exciting opportunity. I want to thank Gina so much for joining me and having this really interesting conversation on food insecurity and food waste. While these food challenges may seem daunting at times, we must remember that even though these challenges are interconnected, the solutions can be just as dynamic and open up new opportunities for new people and new economic enterprises. Jackie Suggett is the Multi-Stakeholder Initiatives Director at ReFed, an organization dedicated to, to tackling our national food waste problem by bringing together leaders from business, nonprofits, and government through a collaborative and data-driven approach. I'm so pleased to have uh, Jackie on to talk with me about food waste as it relates to date labeling and, and to uh, hear about the exciting solutions that um, are already underway and outlined in ReFed's Roadmap to Reduce U.S. Food Waste a first-of-its-kind economic um, blueprint for reducing food waste. Um, so first, could you just talk a little bit about the mission of ReFed and what you do as the Multi-Stakeholder Initiatives Director? Yeah, sure. So ReFed is a nonprofit. We're focused on addressing what is the, the $218 billion opportunity in food waste reduction in the U.S. Um, and that work really started, I think, at least kicked off with kind of what we're doing today back in 2016, and that's when we published the Roadmap to Reduce U.S. Food Waste by 20%, and that was really the first comprehensive assessment of food waste that was done in the U.S., um, along with a set of solutions that would help reduce that waste by 20% in a decade. So we're now working with players really all across the supply chain from food businesses, innovators, funders, um, to, to accelerate those solutions. And then my role specifically as multi-stakeholder initiative director is to work directly with those food businesses um, and the leaders in those organizations to help them implement these solutions uh, and really to engage them in food waste reduction more broadly. So we do that through multi-stakeholder initiatives mm -hmm. such as date labeling, which I think we'll, we'll dive into a little bit more today, um, but then also even just some one-on-one projects directly with 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 a issue like food waste as you know um as we'll talk about it's a very multifaceted problem so um it's great to hear that you're you're um using a lot of different types of solutions with different uh key players um um to to solve this this huge problem um and um i guess that's kind of leads me to my next question which is uh what parts of the food cycle um, account for the greatest amounts of waste? Yeah, it really happens, you know, first of all, it happens all along the spectrum, from, from farm to fork. Um, but as far as where most of that waste is occurring, a lot of it, about 43%, is at the household level. Um, and another 40% of that is at consumer-based businesses, so restaurants, food service, <coughs> grocery retail, etc. So combined, that's you know, 83%. Um, that's happening on, on towards that end of the supply chain. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really what drives our work at ReFed. And, you know, even just the beginning of this year, um, we published some action guides with the intent being let's focus on those businesses where 40% mm -hmm. 
and provide some additional data, um, as well as ways to actually implement these solutions on the ground. So if you look at like retail specifically, for example, grocery retailers alone are wasting about $18 billion of food a year, and that's mm-hmm. roughly double their profit. So how do we take this roadmap, this tool that we're developing, and make it actionable on the ground for them um, to address food waste where it's happening, happening the most, really? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and um, related to, to uh, something you just said about uh, food retailers, um, there's been some uh, recent sorry, <coughs> excuse me. Um, there's been um, some recent attention uh, in the news uh, given to ugly food and um, how there's uh, efforts being made to um, divert some of the food that's rejected uh, due to the, the really high aesthetic uh, standards imposed by the the uh, the uh, competitive uh, food market. Um, so, uh, is there anything that uh, in that roadmap or anything that uh, Refed is doing that you're doing as uh, the multi-stakeholder initiatives director, initiatives director, um, to uh, help uh, re- resolve that problem of of uh, of ugly food being rejected and finding a solution for it? As you mentioned before, uh, Refed has identified date labeling optimization um, as one of the most effective ways that we can reduce food waste. Um, and I wanted to know why this is the case and what specific steps we can take to improve um, date labeling. Yeah, that's a great question. This is an area really a personal passion for me too. Um, but if we look, if we start with the roadmap, like you, you mentioned, date labeling is actually came across as the most cost-effective food waste solution in that analysis, uh, and it indicated that it could yield an economic value of $4,500 per year per ton of food waste. So there's a, a lot of potential there, um, and like I said, it's the most cost-effective solution. Um, and if you think about why that is, I mean, think about the last time you walked through a store or last time you opened your refrigerator, if you think about you know, what, what did you see, if you're looking at these date labels, you probably saw a sell-by, best if used by, you know, freshest before, et cetera, it leads to a lot of confusion because I think the question is, what do those mean? What do I as a consumer do with the food on that label? Um, and some, some recent research that was done, I, I saw the other day, shows that about 84% of people will sometimes throw away food because it's past the date, mm-hmm. uh, but 37% mm-hmm. of that will always throw away food past the date. So mm-hmm. it's causing a lot of confusion. It's causing a lot of waste. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the reality is, if we look at where those state labels come from, uh, more often than not, they're an indicator of peak quality of the food, not actually of food mm-hmm. safety. And I think what's surprising to a lot of people is they aren't federally regulated. Um, with the exception of infant formula, there, there is no federal regulation that, that governs how those things are set. So they're set rather you know, arbitrarily in many cases. So that's why 
if we look at how we make those changes and the improvements that we can have mm-hmm. going forward, um, Reside is currently working with a mix of, of good businesses and policy makers and advocacy organizations to move toward a standardized label system. So can we transition to just two-day labels where you mm-hmm. would see as a consumer either best to choose by on most products that saying there's an indication of quality, uh, or you'll see used by on you know, a small subset of those products that actually have some level of spoilage or food safety information that mm-hmm. needs to be communicated to the consumer. Mm-hmm. So in um, the two industry groups, you know, SMI, the Food Marketing Institute, and then Grocery Manufacturers Association, uh, they introduced this standard already um, in 2017, and a lot of manufacturers are starting to adopt that. Mm-hmm. And um, you mentioned that um, consumers have a, a big role as well in being able to understand these date labels and what they mean. And of course, uh, as you said, we can change the date labels, but the, sumer- the consumers also have to be able to interpret it, interpret it correctly. So um, right. what's, what specific, I think you mentioned a, a couple of things, but what, what specific um, measures could be implemented um, either uh, at the government level through regulations or um, through uh, a more uh, private sector or multi multi stakeholder um, level to inform people on how to interpret these labels and and make the right decisions about the food. Yeah, and you make a great point. You know, changing the labels really is just is one step in that process, right? So, to your point, I think that the policy and the standardization is kind of a behind the scenes work that needs to happen in order to make it. Um, but then there is a piece, you know, within industry, whether that be at a product level, whether that be at a retail level, uh, or even a more coordinated campaign, uh, that needs to educate consumers, one, you know, what are these labels? And then two, what does that mean for you? Uh, what, what, is, how, what behavior does that inspire for you as a consumer when you see these labels? Um, so yes, that education is needed. Um, I think, you know, personally, we, we need to see a little bit more standardization in the market before mm-hmm. we can provide that education, just because if you were to walk through a store today, yeah. you're still going to see a lot of different labels. Um, mm-hmm. But as we see that standardization occur, you're absolutely right. There, there needs to be uh, a level of coordinated education that happens yeah. among consumers. Um, and um, my last question for you is, um, what are the uh, economic uh, and environmental benefits of mitigating our food waste problem? Mm-hmm. and 18 million tons of greenhouse gas emissions reduction. And 
and then you think of the other benefits too, right? Like reduced use of fertilizers and pesticides, more effective use of farmland, et cetera. We're really looking at a lot of benefits both from an economic and environmental perspective. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Seventh Generation. Until next time, I'm Ben Topiel for The Seventh Generation.